Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've been studying the unusual Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And if you didn't know better, we might think that the author, King Solomon, was around today. That's how contemporary his thoughts are. Solomon thought that he'd conduct a little experiment to discover how good life could be without God. And we'll discover more as we pick up our study in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning at verse 10. But first, Greg and I have some letters to share from our fellow Bible bus passengers. Yes, earlier this month, remember we read a, a letter from a guy that heard Minute with McGee yeah. and never had heard of us before. And he's like, that's a cool metaphor, the yeah. Bible bus. So we, we never get tired of that. But and we also never get tired of this, which is... Just reading responses from our fellow writers here in North America as we get it out on over 1,500 stations. Yeah. Here's one. This is from Denise from Morro Bay, California. Dear Steve and Greg, I hope this email finds you both well. I want to express my deep appreciation for today's program. It held a special significance for me as I am currently on the World Prayer Team's spiritual journey. Way to go, Denise. Yes. Praying for and supporting groups all around the world. One particular idea I love is the concept of being present with people in small groups in homes. It has always been my dream to be part of a home group, even in a remote location like Bangladesh. Steve, your words about the power and beauty of connecting with others in such an intimate setting truly touch my heart. I feel that I am getting closer to realizing this dream, and it fills me with joy. Moreover, I am amazed by the incredible impact of God's Word, which I never thought I could be a part of. Sometimes I even tune in to programs in different languages, not understanding the words, but listening attentively to the nonverbal cues. Greg, your reminder about the importance of listening deeply struck a chord within me. I'm grateful for your guidance and wisdom. I want to express my gratitude to both of you for the profound impact you have had on my spiritual journey. Yours and Dr. McGee's teachings have strengthened my faith, and I cannot thank you enough. May God bless you abundantly for the work you do. I will continue to listen to your programs for as long as I am able, just like countless others who find solace and inspiration in yours and Dr. McGee's words. Please extend my warm greetings to everyone involved in this ministry. Together, may we praise the Lord for allowing us to be part of the vastness of our collective strength, even in our individual smallness. Wow. Thank you, Denise, so much. And by the way, Steve and I are both doing very well. Thank you for asking. We're, yeah. we're having a great time here in the studio as we just rejoice in what God's doing. And your letter just added to that joy. Now, yeah. Now, before yes. we go on, Denise, if you want to be part of a small group and you're praying that God will do that, go to our resources page and look at the Bible companions. There's one for every book in the New Testament, and we're working on filling out the Old Testament as soon as possible. Print that baby out and start praying that the Lord will hook you up with a neighbor, someone at church. Two people is a group. So just find another person to start going through the Bible with, and the Bible companion will be your guide. That's my shameless See, this plug. is what's so great about my, our relationship. I just knew that when you read that, you like had to like say something because it's a passion of yours, and I love yeah. that. Now, l- let's hear from Kathleen in Everett, Washington. She writes this. I accepted Christ as my Savior over 23 years ago. I've been a member of an excellent Bible study group since then. But I must say that Dr. McGee opened my eyes in a whole new way to the book of Psalms. I had no idea it was so beautifully organized. It had always seemed random, and I never knew quite where to turn. Hmm. But he pointed out that there were sections which aligned to the Septuagint, which was very enlightening. I had never known that the verses were grouped by type. Now I feel that the Psalms are much more accessible, and they are drawing me to them. 
Dr. McGee has been a blessing in my life for many years, but my work schedule dictated whether or not I could catch him on the radio. Then we moved to a new home with terrible radio reception. I live there, too. I do, too. Yeah, I can hardly get any radio at my home. But she goes on. The app has allowed me to make through the Bible a consistent part of my daily routine. Now I don't start the day without you. Wow, Kathleen, that is such an encouraging letter. And remember, if you're listening to this and you've been encouraged, well, we'd love for you to do your part and share your story with us. Do that today. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin our study? Father, you are doing great things here in North America and around the world, and we praise you for it. And we pray that you'll do great things today as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's open our Bibles to Ecclesiastes 9 as we go through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we are going to conclude this ninth chapter of Ecclesiastes, and I'm sure that you will agree with me. It's a very pessimistic chapter. It presents the viewpoint of the man under the sun. It's man's wrong conclusions and his pseudo-philosophy due to his ignorance, his prejudice, and his false premises under the sun, the man apart from God. And in this, we have seen that his conclusion is all are going to arrive at the same place. That is, death is a great leveling out process, and it's true. Many of the things that he sees are obvious, but his conclusions are wrong. All will eventually be saved, so it doesn't make any difference. That's his conclusion. But that's a wrong conclusion, for the Bible does not teach that. Then we saw that death brings about total integration, and all are equal in death. And then, while there's life, there's hope. (laughs) I'd rather be a live dog than a dead lion. And certainly, there's truth in that. But May I say that that type of philosophy does not in any way bring any happiness or satisfaction to life, nor will it bring a man into the presence of God. This is all apart from God. Now, we saw that this chapter does not teach soul sleep, that he's speaking only of the body. He says, "...do now what your hand finds to do. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might." Now, he's talking about your hand, not your soul. It's your hand that's going to be put in the grave. You're, if you're a child of God, you're going to in this presence. If you're not, you go to the place where the dead will be raised to be judged at the great white throne someday. This life does not end at all. Now, we come here and have seen that life is... a. Uh, matter of luck or a game of chance, according to the viewpoint that is expressed here. Now, we come to verse 15, and I'm reading, Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. And who was that man that came and brought deliverance? His name was Wisdom, and for the child of God today, Christ has been made unto us wisdom. There was found in it a poor, wise man. And he came down to this earth in poverty. And now he could actually say, the birds of the air have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He was a poor man. Verse 17, the words of wise men are heard in quite 
more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. The voice of the Lord Jesus will prevail. I think that's always a tremendous thing that is said concerning him. He'll come with a voice, a shout, the voice of the archangel, and that's his voice. Sound of a trumpet, and his voice will be like that of a trumpet. His voice will prevail in this world today. Above the babel of voices, why his voice will prevail. Verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. And this is a conclusion of all of this in chapter 9 here. Christ is better than atomic energy. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. And Christ is better than atomic energy. And then one sinner destroyeth much good. The tremendous influence of one person. And it is always more potent when it's in the wrong direction. The effect of your life can be more far-reaching if it's an evil life. And today, think of the effect that certain men from evil are having. Well, let's look at history. Adam's sin has affected an entire race. Achan's sin and an entire nation had a defeat and had to deal with that. Rehoboam, his sin, split the kingdom of Israel. And Ananias and the sin of Ananias and Sapphira brought into the early church the first defect that it had. And from that day on, the church was not as potent as it was at the beginning. Now, wisdom is better than weapons of war. And that's true, actually, in the world today. I crossed the ocean on the Queen Mary. And I never shall forget, we got up early that morning when it came into Southampton. And I tell you, it was, a, I would say, a tremendous feat to bring that great ship into port. And that pilot had brought her across the trackless ocean. How did he do all that? Well, he did it by the principles that were set down by a little-known Greek philosopher years ago working in geometry. That's the way it was done. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. And you have influence, whether for good or bad. You and I occupy a place of influence, no matter who you are. No man liveth to himself. No man dieth to himself. You're a preacher. You can't help but be a preacher. I said that to a man once. He lived down the street from the church. He lived with his mother. He was an alcoholic. His mother asked me would I talk to him. And he had broken her heart. And one day I got him into the study. He had had a drink. He was not what you'd call drunk. And I talked to him. I called him everything. I told him how low down he was. I told him that he was absolutely no good. He just sat there and took it all. And I said, did you know you're a preacher? And he stood up and he drew it back his fist and he's going to hit me. He says, you know, you can't call me a preacher. You know, he was willing to be called anything but a preacher. But I don't care who you are. You're a preacher. You are preaching by your life some message to those around you. And that's the reason that I personally believe that the do-gooder today, the man that boasts of his morals apart from God, 
is the greatest detriment that there is to this country today because he stands in the way. He blocks the way to God because he said, live like I do. I'm living without God. I just do good. And there's nothing that's quite as deadening as that. Now, you're a preacher, whoever you are. You're a preacher in the home, in that smallest circle. You're affecting somebody there. It's like that little boy, you remember, that had been a snowstorm the night before, and his dad got up to go out to the barn. He kept a jug of whiskey hid in the corn crib, and he went out to take a drink of a morning. And he was going out this snowy morning. And all of a sudden, he heard somebody back of him, and he turned around, and there was his little son following him, stepping where the father stepped. And the father said, what are you doing, son? He says, I'm following in your footsteps. And the father was going out to take a drink. Well, he sent the boy back to the house. He went out to the corn crib, got that jug and broke it because he stopped to think. I don't want that boy following in my footsteps. There's somebody following in your footsteps and where are you leading them, even if it's in the home. And now there's the wider circle of human society. You have influence. You have influence in the business world. You have influence in your neighborhood. You have influence in your Sunday school. You have influence. And you have influence in your city. You have influence in your community. You have influence. Somebody's looking at your friend. Now, they can see that going to church is to you just like dropping by a drive-in to pick up a hamburger when there's nothing else to do. And that's all it means to you. They know whether you mean business with God or not. Does your life suggest to your associates that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun? You have influence. Why, you know, Andrew didn't preach on the day of Pentecost, but he sat on the sidelines and he could say, that's my brother. (laughs) I brought him to Jesus. My friend, may I say to you, One sinner destroyed much good. You today are pointing men to heaven or to hell. Now, if you want to go to hell, that's your business. But you've got no right to lead a little boy there. You've got no right to lead your family there. And you have no right to lead those that are around you today there. Even if you want to go, it's awful to lead others. Influence. What a tremendous chapter this really is. Now, let's move into chapter 10, and we find out we've got another wonderful chapter before us. And we see here the injustice of life suggests the adoption of a very moderate course. Now, listen to this. Dead flies caused the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. You see, one night on the town can mean a lifetime in the darkness of the disease or of death. I could give you many examples. I had an officer in a church I served back east that said to me, he said, you know, I was brought up in a Christian home. He said, I never did really run around. But when I went away from home, got a job, I went out with the fellas one night. That's the only night in my life I went out. And that's the night I got a venereal disease. And he says, I had to postpone marriage 
several years. I had to break up an engagement with a sweet, lovely girl. <laughs> you know, just one dead fly will just ruin the ointment of the apothecary. Cause it to spoil. How tragic. Oh, what a picture. A little folly, just a little foolishness. That's all that it takes. And that is the thing that can ruin a life and spoil other lives. Now, verse 2, A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart's at his left. What does he mean here? Well, he means simply this. That, my friend, whatever you do with your hand, whatever you do, do it with heart. Don't do it reluctantly. If you're going to serve God, do it with joy and excitement. Don't make the Christian life a drag and a drudge. Make it something worthwhile. Or don't be using your hands so much. Whatever you do, do it with excitement. Verse 3, Yea, also... When he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him. And he saith to every one that he's a fool. Now, he just doesn't go around carrying a placard on his, you know, self, saying, I am a fool. And the fact of the matter is, all he has to do is open his mouth. And sometimes he doesn't even have to open his mouth. And he's proven a fool. You can be in a meeting sometime, especially... These meetings that are called by someone, you know, for the community, and you want to get a viewpoint. And you have several people get up there, and you say, my, I didn't realize my neighbor was so intelligent. Then all of a sudden, some fellow gets up. And the minute he opens his mouth, you look at your friend next to you, and you know, arch your eyebrow. There's another one. He's a fool. <laughs> but that's what the Bible calls him. We're not to call a man a fool, but... That's what the Bible says he is. A fool's heart is always at his left hand. And also the fool is one that say he tells everybody what he is. Now, verse 4, If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place for yielding, pacifieth great offenses. In other words, if you can't fight city hall, then join. That's exactly what the man under the sun's going to do. Now, will you notice? Verse 5, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich set in low place. And one of the things that's happened in our day, in particular, is the dignity that's been given to sin. There was a time that sin was down the side street, and it was dirty, was filthy. And it savored of that which was low and foul. But today, sin has moved up on the boulevard, and it's done with great dignity. It's given a very prominent place. And on a TV show where they have these foolish interviews, my, there's nothing today that is such a waste of time as listening to these interviews, interviewing the so-called great or the oddballs. And it looks like everybody on these are oddballs. And I noticed one the other day. It had on it a stripper. That is, a girl takes off her clothes in a nightclub. 
And my, it was called an art form. But when I was a young fellow growing up in my teens, and I was away from God then, I can tell you that, in Detroit, where we snuck off on Saturday night. And it wasn't any art form. It was dirty. It was filthy. <laughs> Today, it's an art form. Oh, how sin is handled in such a dignified way today. And the thing is that folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in a low place. The thing about it is that a man that is a prominent man in the community, actually the man that probably makes the finest contribution, do they ever put him, the ordinary citizen, the Ordinary Christian, is he ever interviewed today? No, he occupies a low place. You never hear a hymn. He's never written up. It's always oddballs. It's always those that are way out in left field. They are the ones that receive the attention today. Now listen to this. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. What a picture that you have here. To work hard and save your money and study late does not mean that you'll always become a success. Why, the fool next door to you may inherit a million dollars, friends. That's the thing that happens today. And how many fools, men that have some odd thing, and they are the ones riding on horses. And I know many wonderful Christians Oh, across this land, I've had the privilege of meeting some of the most wonderful people. And you know, they're humble folk. Many of them live in humble homes. Some of them are prominent, by the way, in the sense that they're well-to-do. But they're absolutely ignored. They're walking as servants upon the earth. What a picture. And verse 8, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaketh a hedge a serpent shall bite him. And today, if you think you can sin and get by with it, especially if you're a child of God, you are very foolish because all you've got to wait and God will take care of it. I've watched that over the years. I've watched a Christian that has done things that's wrong and they never got by with it. Somewhere down the line, God began to move in on them and he took them to the woodshed. Now, will you notice Whoso removeth stone shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. And removing stones, these were markers for the property. To remove those would mean that actually whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Whatever you're going to do in the way of sin, if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. And you can depend on that my friend. And that's the reason the Lord says to us today, avenge not yourselves. I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You turn it over to God, he'll see to it that the thing is straightened out. Then we find here, if the iron be blunt and he do not whet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. If the hole gets dull, if you have any sense at all, you'll sharpen it because it's going to make it harder to dig with it. And how many people today are not willing to do the thing to sharpen 
the whole. I said to a young man the other day, God's called him to preach, and he wants to take a short course. And I said, oh, young man, don't do that. Sharpen your whole. Sharpen your soul. And don't go out untrained. Take time for that. It's very foolish to take a dull hole and expect to cut out a bunch of weeds. Sharpen the hole, then move in. My, may I say to you, there's some great lessons to be learned in the book of Ecclesiastes. Unusual book. I'll have to leave off there today, but we'll pick right up there next time, and that's in Ecclesiastes 10. And we'll begin at verse 11. May God richly bless you, my beloved. For more great teaching in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, join me for Dr. McGee's Sunday sermon in the days of youth. You can listen on our app or online at ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find it. I'm Steve Sweat, so grateful for your company today on the Bible Bus. Go with God now in the strength of His Spirit and His Word. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?